0: Chicken.
1: Welcome to Best Picture This, where it is always Oscar season. I'm Mike. And I'm Brian. In this show, we reevaluate every Best Picture nominee from the 21st century and decide whether to keep it or kick it from its Oscar pedestal.
0: That's right. We're the judges deciding which movies are winners <laughs> and which are losers. So in 2006, the nominees for Best Picture were The Queen. Babel, Letters from Iwo Jima, The Departed, and today's movie, Little Miss Sunshine, directed by Valerie Ferris and Jonathan Dayton. Here's the trailer.
1: I couldn't help noticing Dwayne has stopped speaking.
0: Oh, yeah, he's taking a vow of silence. Cheryl, remember when Olive was runner-up in the regional Little Miss Sunshine? Well, the girl who won had to forfeit her crown. I don't know why, something about diet pills, but anyway. Now she has a place in the state contest in Redondo (laughs) Beach. California. There are two kinds of people in this world. Winners and losers.
1: Sarcasm is the refuge of losers. How much do I owe you for those pearls of Oh, Witch? that one's oh, on the house. Stop you're no it. No Stop it. Stop it. Laugh it He started it. A mode translates as in the fashion. A mode. Frank, shut up.
0: Everybody, push!
1: Dwayne, that's your name, right? Are you getting any? My God, man. Dad. You should be getting that young Dad. stuff. I know you're a homo and all, but maybe you can appreciate this. Dad, that's enough. Stop it. You're not going to shut me up. I still got Nazi bullets in my head. Hey! Oh, wh- how about that? Doc or something.
0: I'm you. Oh, jeez. I'm being pulled over. Everybody... Just pretend to be normal.
1: Grandpa, am I pretty? You are the most beautiful girl in the whole world. Yeah, no, you're just saying that. No, I'm not. I'm madly in love with you. And it's not because of your brains or your personality. You
0: Olive. Oh. I can't slow down. I can't, Frank.
1: What Olive, sweetie, jump. Jump in the car. Can't stop. Jump. No one gets left behind. No one gets left behind. Outstanding. Sudden ending there. Little Miss Sunshine was made for eight million bucks. It made 101 in the box office. Whew. Wow. Uh, 91% on Rotten Tomatoes and 80 out of 100 on Metacritic. It was, uh, to, to help explain the low budgetness of it, it was the directorial debut of the husband wife team, Jonathan Dayton, Valerie Ferris. It was shot in 30 days. It was written by a first time screenwriter, screenwriter Michael Arndt, um, who went on to win the best original screenplay for, for this movie. His first screenplay that was ever written or bought. Not the first one that he probably ever wrote, but. First one that was ever bought. Alan Arkin won Best Supporting Actor. And the movie also won the Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Performance by a Cast in a Motion Picture. So in this show, we are going to ask each other three questions guaranteed to produce golden takes. We will then uh, talk trivia and the big reveal. Keep it or kick it.
0: My first question to you, Brian. Mm -hmm. Nathan Rabin AV Club. He says, "It helps to have a cast stocked with ringers, with the chops to play comedy as drama and drama as comedy." Mm-hmm. So, my question to you is: Did you have a favorite actor in this ensemble, and why?
1: Whew. I really love this ensemble. Actually, I mean, I think the SAG award is pretty well warranted. Although I'd have to look at all the other nominees. But yeah,
0: an ensemble award seems fair here, right? Well,
1: there's really not one particular person you'd say, that's the main character. It's kind of the idea of this. It's a a road trip movie, you know, with lots of people in it. Um, Yeah, they all have these great moments. I think that um, maybe Greg Kinnear's character I relate (laughs) to a lot because I'm like a, you know, middle-aged dad with like a teenager and a seven-year-old. With white Reeboks and
0: (laughs) high socks and... (laughs) depleted shorts big
1: sleeved Hawaiian shirts (laughs) um (laughs) with like you know I, I I don't know I related to his character in several moments like I've I've always had the dream to like write a great novel you know and it's so discouraging sometimes when it doesn't work out so when he his dream seems like it's failing it's like it's I don't know it's very poignant parts of this movie but all the characters have great devastation moments in them and I think that's one thing that it all those devastation moments are really convincing to me. Whether all of the um, resolution kind of attempts are all as as successful on this watch, they were a little bit less to me. But yeah. But the devastation moments hit hard and they were all great.
0: And one thing I realized is the poignancy moments I think maybe work because for the most part, everyone's mean to each other in this movie
1: it's like a seinfeld episode
0: (laughs) yeah kind of everyone's got an attitude everybody's mean to everybody so the the rare times that they're nice to each other then it hits which is a little bit of a screenwriting trick i think it is but but fair enough i mean if it works it works um i was thinking about this and i i think that paul Dano is great at being insufferable you know he he's, is. He's, there's something about his face. <laughs> there will be blood. He, he, he's so he, hateable. He its, yeah, <laughs> he he's he's needs. great at being hateable. But Greg Kinnear is kind of the opposite side of the of that same coin, I think, because yeah. Dano is the depressive, annoying kind, mm-hmm. and then Kinnear is like the really forced optimism, annoying yep. kind. <laughs> so I think for me, I was thinking about this. I think that they're all good, but Abigail Breslin is she is, is the glue brilliant and for movie. me to say that a kid, a kid actor yeah not only is this the best kid performance of the year mm-hmm. it's not annoying at all yeah which is the highest praise i know that i can give for a child <laughs> performance not annoying the not annoying award goes to <laughs> whenever the movie starts getting a little bit too dark then she yep. comes in and she's like just the warmth and the light that Do it you needs there's a
1: heaven it's like it's such a perfect little like throw almost like a, it, it it's a 22nd moment she's asking about if there's a heaven and she's asking Steve Carell's character who by the way almost feels like the everyman like the one we can relate to the most easily but yeah, he's, he's the one who yeah. he he he's the straight man mm-hmm. but he is the um gay Proust scholar who tried to commit suicide that he's like in some ways he is seen as the the most outcast of the family you know in I, I guess they're all outcast he's the
0: biggest loser of the yeah, losers club exactly yeah.
1: that that's how he's kind of his characters seemed to be but yet he's the one who kind of is like rolling his eyes at greg kinnear he's like why the heck is he doing a vow of silence mm-hmm. um he, he's sort of the one who seems to be relatable it's kind of strange
0: yeah and <laughs> one weakness that i found on this watch was the suicide thing that they bring up early they introduce this as a as kind of a major event i think yeah. the first shot is is him sitting at the i don't know recovery center hospital whatever it yeah. is
1: his his introduction is yeah
0: yeah um does that pay off though i mean this is not my next <laughs> question just just casual conversation you know um i don't you can't, you can't spend a question like <laughs> that i just think that it's set up and yeah. I think that we'll get more into this as we, we as we get into you know
1: the rest of the movie. He basically is continually showing that he's able to laugh it off, laugh certain things off. Like when they get in the car in this in this in the trailer, mm-hmm. they succeed in getting in the car as they're as they're leaving the van. And he's like, nobody gets left behind. Like that's the Steve Carell. That's you know the the buoyancy of his character in and other things that you're you know you're kind of more used to, but. I guess that's one of the moments that I do believe of his his change. But the only thing, the only reminder you have of his uh, suicide is he has the bandages, the bandages on yeah. his wrist for if, the rest. If of the they movie. didn't introduce yeah. that
0: early on in the movie, I don't think that you would ever feel a danger yeah. in this in this script that oh, yeah, this is a guy that might hurt himself. I
1: don't think there's much of a danger. It do, it is hinted at, like when he has to he has to stay with Paul Dano's character, you know, so he's not going to hurt himself.
0: That's a joke, though. They
1: play it for. It feels you know. like there's many many sky, screenwriting tricks, and that's my first question. Okay. Failed Proust scholar, overworked mom, plump kid trying to win a beauty pageant, teen taking a vow of silence, grandpa druggie, dad with a cheesy self-help system, right? This is the cast. Yeah. Um, Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly labeled the film with a C rating. C- I assume that's yeah, I, think, I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> calling the characters, quote, walking, talking catalogs of screenwriter index card data unquote um, did you feel like it was too screenwritery and so the movie didn't work
0: well this <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a kind of a complicated question because
1: I only ask complicated <laughs> really thought-provoking because it's
0: questions. kind of tied into the full experience of this movie which yeah. I think for me was sort of split on the one hand, I could, I could, I can live in the in the sort of the chuckles of it. There's there's warmth here. It's charming. It's sort of undeniably charming at at times, and that could be enough. But does it work as anything more than that? I don't think that the screenplay award is warranted at all Mm. and i had a very different reaction when i saw this for the first time when i was like 19
1: and you you liked it more than
0: loved it yeah yeah. loved it then give it a five out of five stars on letterboxd yeah i gave it a five out of five and then i watched it again this time thinking this is a movie i love yeah did not have that same it was a plummeting score no it wasn't plummeting but it I was really struggling between the three and, and the three and a half. Yeah, <laughs> I think it lives in that range where it, where it's a sitcom, and yeah. that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but best picture, best screenplay. There's yeah. is there depth here? I don't buy any of that. Well, so if we go back to Gleiberman's quote, I think that he's right. I don't think that it's offensively bad. It doesn't annoy me, mm-hmm. but you can see you can see the tricks.
1: So I think that this is an example of a first time screenwriter using all the tricks. There's no doubt about that. Um, In fact, when I watched this and I I saw an interview afterward um, with him, like at a, some bookstore when he was giving an interview and he said, he basically was telling the formula of, of using it. Hmm. And I thought that was really interesting because here's the thing. He's using all these tricks so does everybody else. Some of these, yes, are kind of over the top and more obvious. Mm-hmm. But to me, this movie, what, there's, a, there's a nostalgia to this. This was sort of like an intro. In, like I started reading screenplay books after this, after watching this movie. Okay. Because I was so taken with the idea that, wait a minute, he's following this s- formula. And formula sounds like such a bad word. You yeah. Know? It's like formulaic. That means it's going to not work. Mm. Yeah. But I was I mean so- the
0: formula's formula for a reason. Yes. So there's that. But exactly. you need to be able to hide it enough to where people are not aware of it on the surface.
1: Well, it to me, there are certain things that they do in the movie, like with the shooting of it, that almost like say, you know what? We're doing all this formula stuff and it's we're not trying to hide it. I kind of, on this watch, as I was thinking, because I thought I was kind of nervous going back to watching it, that I wasn't going to like it as much. (laughs) I was, I was nervous. And then when I watched it, the emotional payoffs that I remembered loving, they all still worked again for me. They did. Well, that's interesting. Every time they still worked. And that, that, again, it's sort of like, wait a minute, how can this guy who is just, he took a year off and wrote 10 screenplays. That was (laughs) his plan. Wow. And this was one of them. And it launched his career. He became, you know, he, he wrote uh, Episode 7 with Lawrence Kasdan, um, Star Wars Episode 7. He wrote Toy Story 3. Jeez. He became a big deal. Pumping out a screenplay a month almost. Well, that was, that was to get noticed. Yeah, yeah, And this was the one that got noticed. But <clears throat> the thing is, so there's a shot early on in the movie. There's several that are like this. I'll use, use one example. When Greg Kinnear is talking to Olive face-to-face. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Do you are you going to be a winner if you go to this?" And if you look in the background, the rest of the cast is set up in an almost comically organized way. Like they're supposed to be just sitting around the table, right? But they are perfectly spaced. It's like one person, you know, Greg Kinnear's head; another person, Abigail Breslin's head in the foreground, and then another person in the background. They're like they're so perfectly arranged there's not even an attempt to make it look kind of random it's like um and and there's there's, a, there's other examples of it but to me that kind of was like i mean they know these people have watched lots of movies you know they know that some of the stuff is like oh, a little bit staged but the the music is kind of twee you know the bright oh, yeah. the bright yellow van like there there's an that is like there's a little bit of Wes Anderson, you know, to this. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so in that way, I kind of thought, I don't, I don't think I gave it, I don't think I, I went in that direction in my mind when I first saw it. Um, and I'm probably giving it a little too much credit for doing that now <laughs> um, because I did like it so much. But when Alan Arkin comes up to the front after Greg Kinnear just had his devastating moment where the phone call, you know, he didn't get his book deal. Yeah. And Alan Arkin crawls up to the front of the, the van, puts his hand on his shoulder, First of all, how many movies have tried father son moments Um, and get, get cheesy. This is like one of my favorite father son moments of any movie that I've seen. I think. Wow. Alan Arkin putting his hand on his shoulder saying, you know what? You tried your best. And Greg Kinnear is like, thanks dad. And he just, well, that's when he puts his hand on his yeah, shoulder.
0: I was going to say, that's the, the important thing. He, he, put, he kind of breaks through he does it after. The, the defense, you know, because he gives him all the compliments and says, yeah. a lot of people don't never never do this, what you did. Yes. So it's an accomplishment just to try.
1: He's pretty much telling Greg Kinnear his like nine-step speech, like reassuring him. It's similarly cliche stuff, basically. and But but it's it's heartfelt. And the hand on the shoulder tells him that it's heartfelt and then Greg Kinnear's facial expression yeah, he plays a great is totally perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and that's like, it's one of the great moments in that, in that movie. But how often do you get the feeling that they're father-son in the movie? Hardly ever. I mean, they're basically mad at each other most of the time. Alan Arkin's a screw-up, got kicked out of the nursing home. Um, and, and then you have this one little blip of like, that's the father-son. And then, of course, when he dies when Alan Arkin dies, um, it, it it definitely does something emotionally to Greg Kinnear again. And that, you know, anyway, that, that moment is one that I've thought about a lot since. And then one other, and that is when Paul Dano, you know, has his conniption, runs down the hill, Mm -hmm. he's screaming and the only person who can help him is Olive. And she kind of like gingerly tiptoes down in her red boots. And she doesn't say anything to him. She just crouches down and puts her arm around him. Yeah. And I have thought of that moment many times since watching this movie. Really? Because I think that it is... necessary? It's so emotionally accurate to helping someone through a tantrum. You know, I have five kids, ages three to 18, and they all have tantrums in one way or another, right? And what do you really need to do to help that person? A lot of times you just need to like sit there and put your arm around them and not try to solve their problem. Just say, like, by your presence, I'm here. There's some kind of emotional truth um, to several, many of these moments that I'm like, you know what? There's a formula here. But so is every movie. And these moments work better than a lot of movies that I've ever seen. And so I'm kind of, like, overlooking some of the flaws to say that I think Michael Arnn hit it out of the park.
0: Yeah. And
1: And the actors, because the actors had to pull this off and there's a lot of places where it could have gone wrong. I think.
0: Oh oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think it just comes down to how much you like this movie is kind of dependent on how much those emotional moments hit. True. true. For yeah. me this time, the emotional moments didn't really hit, Yeah. but I could, you know, it, it's an easy enough watch. I, I think that it, it works <laughs> enough in small moments to, um, you know, to justify the three-star. or the, or the <laughs> Three-star thir- is an insult. Or the three-and-a-half-star. It's star. an insult. If I were to feel those moments, probably I wouldn't be seeing the formula as much. Yeah. And I probably would bump the star up. But it's it's interesting what you say about the... Kind of the visual directing and choreography of the scene. You know, you point out how people are placed behind um, Kinnear and Breslin in the foreground. That's what si- sitcoms do, too. Yeah. They sit at a dining room table and they take away the chair that's facing the camera, mm-hmm. which makes no sense, but you <laughs> you accept it because, you know, you know that this is the world that the it's, sitcom is creating. It's and, artifice.
1: Yeah. And you, you're either going to accept that artifice or not. There's a lot of, every movie you have to accept artifice in some way, I think. Yeah. Um, We've talked a lot about like, like Pan's Labyrinth. I mean, from this year, which is seen as one of the best of the decade by a lot of people, there's tons of artifice that you have to say, I'm willing to accept that there's a strange looking, weird, pale man, like a fantasy. Um, And, you know, every movie, you got to suspend your disbelief in some way, I guess.
0: It just depends what they're going for. What's the goal? And here they're not going for naturalism. So if that's the case, you know, you give it a little bit of extra slack. Yeah. Um let's keep talking about Alan Arkin, because yeah. we're on we're on a little bit of a roll there. So he won Best Supporting Actor, mm-hmm. beating out Jackie Earl Haley, Little Children, uh Digimon Hansu Digimon from Blood Diamond, yep. Eddie Murphy from Dream Girls, and Mark Wahlberg from The Departed. So you really like that moment on the bus, yeah. him playing the father figure. Do you think that it is his performance or how his character is written? that makes it powerful is it a combination of
1: both did he deserve this award i think that it is always going to be a combination it's got
0: to be a combination to um, some extent
1: i think that it was i think that it was a strong performance i mean is this one of the best supporting actor performances of 5 or 10 years no the ones that you just mentioned i haven't seen all of them yet like i haven't seen uh, dream girls yet it's on my list mm-hmm. I don't really remember Mark Wahlberg that much, but he usually doesn't impress me all that much. So I mean, no, come on, yeah. are, you,
0: are you kidding? It's okay. He's great, and he's the okay. departed. He, play, he plays pretty much the same role in the other <laughs> that's guys. That's the thing. And he's, he's maybe even better there.
1: That's the thing. He's kind of the same. Oh, I love Mark Wahlberg. Same character. Anyway, but I would say I'm fine with him winning. With with him winning it, um, I don't know that his performance is better than the others in the movie, though. That's kind of the interesting part.
0: Yeah, I think that he is good, and he's funny when he needs to be. But his role in this is pretty short-lived. Yeah. And I, I just think he hits those those beats. You know, he goes out on the best scene, um, his best scene, but also maybe one of the best scenes in the movie when Breslin is kind of the one time that we yeah. see her uh, She's upset and worried about disappointing room. her dad, about about losing the beauty pageant, about being a loser. Yeah. And he's able to be funny and be warm. And this is a guy that we've seen just be so obscene and crass the rest of the movie, and then to see him warm up like that, yeah. there's another one of those tricks, then he goes out on a high note, you know, and it's right after he's kind of being able to do this, like, um and you cat think, roar yeah. thing.
1: <laughs> and you blame him for that. You discredit his performance because of that perfect outro. No, that I I just exit. think...
0: I just think... I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know how I... This is not a fully formed thought, but I just don't know that he... That his range is so wide yeah. that that I feel like it's, you know, clearly a best of the year type of deal. I just think that this is a very lovable character because yeah. he gets to play so sort of hard and so soft at the same time, um, which I guess is a credit to him.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, he's a pro. I mean, he's been out long, long career. Um, my second question to you is about Abigail Breslin. So
0: not annoying at all in this movie. Yep. It's so firmly established. I love
1: the beginning, the super close up where she is like watching the Miss America um, pageant, and then there's many good moments since then, we've, we've, which we've mentioned. So tell me how whether she does it better than the following kid actors. Okay. Henry Thomas, E.T.
0: Hmm. No.
1: I would say it's better than Henry Thomas. When's the last TV. time you've seen Uh It's been a little while, but... <laughs> there are some <laughs> scenes there where, man, he's... he's yeah. Okay. He's, he's just crushing it. Freddie Highmore, Finding Neverland. Uh, yeah. Better than that one? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Macaulay Culkin, Home Alone?
0: Uh, no.
1: Haley Joel Osment, Sixth Sense. No. Jodie Foster, Taxi Driver. Does that count?
0: <laughs> that doesn't really count. She's, She's a little older. Yeah. Um, no. I'm going to say no.
1: I would say that her performance is my favorite out of any of those in this wow. movie. Wow. Okay. What's your, did you already ask your second question?
0: I did, but I've got a third. Okay, go ahead. All right. So I'm going to read you a quote from the movie, then ask you a question about it. Mm-hmm. And the quote is from Paul Dano, who's talking to Steve Carell on a pier after he just found out that he won't be able to be a pilot like he's always dreamt mm-hmm. because he's colorblind. And for your sake, don't worry. I cleaned up this quote to, Wait, make, it, to make it PG. I
1: appreciate that.
0: It goes as follows. Forget beauty pageants. Life is one freaking beauty pageant after another. School, then college, then work. Forget that. And forget the Air Force Academy. If I want to fly, I'll find a way to fly. You do what you love and forget the rest. Then Steve Carell seems that was proud. A lot of
1: cleaning up. Nice job. <laughs> <It was. laughs> and he tells
0: him, You're smarter than you look. My question to you is, is he? <laughs> is he smarter than he looks? Is I that think- a
1: smart? Thing to say to me that is one of the weakest emotional moments of the movie it's the worst moment of the movie it's that one is a, a trying too hard to resolve a lot of things i think that what 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 makes this movie strong the ending strong is and there were some alternative endings that i watched that were horrible that they thankfully did, oh, really? not, did not go mm. with they t- they tidied things up way way more than they did the fact that the everybody drives away and their lives t- still are terrible is kind of partly what makes it feel legitimate to be a Best Picture nominee to me. Like, it's not trying to just wrap everything all up. But this is one of those times where they kind of are trying to to wrap it up. And this this time around, the reason that it maybe fell a little bit in my estimation this time is because I felt more like there were more wrap-up attempts than I had sort of recognized in previous watchings. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that... I think that Steve Carell coming around is pretty believable. I think that Tony Collette feeling like he's kind of, she's kind of sympathetic to her husband who just lost his dad. That's believable. But how much does that mean their marriage is going to be better? Yeah. I think the movie wants you to think that it's actually going to be better. I think that's a little bit of a false note that, that the movie tries to paint. Um, So anyway, there's some hits and misses on that front.
0: Not only that Paul Dano, rebounds so quickly from his meltdown to this moment. Yeah. I think makes this the worst moment of the movie. But just spewing these platitudes. Yeah. You do what you love. Forget the rest. Yeah. First of all, what does that even mean? School then work then whatever. School then college then then work.
1: Basically like any responsibility, I hate.
0: It. Yeah. <laughs> these these are the the kinds of things that teenagers think are are deep and I I'm not excluding myself from that because when I was a teenager I saw this and I remember I was like yeah with this scene that's right and I remember you know I I I thought that this movie was having like a real conversation with suicide and, and I thought that it was important that Steve Carell was doing drama here and there were mm-hmm. a lot of those things that I thought gave the movie weight when I saw it the first time were not there at all for me in this watch.
1: I guess now I'm kind of backtracking a little bit, but do you think that Michael Arndt and the directors want us to be like, yeah, Baldano, you are right on the money there. Or are we trying to be more in Steve Carell's point of view saying like, okay, yeah, you're being a teenager, but you know, don't give up on all the suffering. He's trying to make it a joke, you know, like, it's okay. I don't know which one are we really supposed to identify with. We're identifying with Steve Carell for a lot of the movie, and uh, Paul Dano is kind of like a such a wacky character. You know the the Nietzsche stuff and taking a vow of silence that all of a sudden he screams at it, you know, this moment. Yeah. He he does get up fairly quickly when Olive comes. I kind of wish that that was like (laughs) another 10 seconds. Yeah. That would have been better, like, to make it look like it's really uncomfortable for him. And it was only like a couple seconds, so.
0: Yeah. But I think that that's just a sign that the movie maybe doesn't have a very strong point of view. And it wraps these things up without really identifying how, what it thinks about these moments, what it thinks about Paul Dano, what it mm-hmm. thinks about Steve Carell. I just think that it's, that feels like resolution and that's supposed to be enough because it gets us to the next plot point, which is fine for, you know, for, for a comedy without, without weight.
1: The driving off into the sunset, knowing that there is a lot of unresolved stuff like Greg Kinnear's career is nowhere.
0: But he's accepted that he's in the losers' club, and that's okay.
1: I don't think. I don't think that's. I don't, you don't think, think so. so. No, I think that he. I think he might have accepted that his nine steps might not. He's got it. I don't know. I don't know where he is. They're letting I don't their freak
0: it, flag fly. They're going on on the on the stage and they're dancing at a place that's judging you for being a winner or a loser, and they're saying we don't care about being judged anymore. Yeah, I can see that.
1: I think that he is also you could also see it that even though he was willing to let Olive not go on, which to him him would mean that he's allowing her to be a loser in the end, when she does go on, he goes on and supports it, even though he might look like a loser to others but i don't know I think that's complicated i think that but I think that it does allow for a lot of unresolved things to be you know they're driving off back into the sunset, knowing that their lives are still still kind of rough. Uh, Paul Dano is not going to be able to just go fly just because he wants to. Like he still has to. As of 2009,
0: mm-hmm. the FAA updated ah, their rules. Nice. And just a few years after this movie <laughs> came out.
1: Probably in response all to All you had
0: it. to do is wait three years. Um, <laughs> but now all you need to do is pass the eye exam by 35% and mm-hmm. you can fly. So being colorblind is not an automatic no-go on the fly front.
1: Good for him. I know. Good for Paul Daniels' character. My question number three is, have you ever eaten a popsicle as fast as Tony Collette does in this movie? It's
0: a recipe for a brain freeze. you, you got to be smart about a popsicle. you got to have a plan going it's, in. It's Take tough. your time. She's take, stressed out. It takes great patience to properly <laughs> eat a popsicle, Brian. You know this.
1: But when, you, when you're committing to eating it fast, you do have to crunch it like that. you gotta, you got to motor, motor mouth it. I guess so. That was my third question.
0: <laughs> it's, it's a good one let's move on to trivia
1: trivia paul dano was cast as Dwayne two years before production began and he in preparation he spent a few days taking his own vow of silence have you ever have you ever done anything like that just to see what it's like practice discipline no the role of frank who is uh steve Carell, was originally written for bill murray I could see that. I can yeah. definitely see that it feels yeah. like a very Bill Murray role in this era. Um, there was also studio pressure for Robin Williams, which also would have been very cool to see. But they went with Steve Carell. Um, Michael Arndt started writing the script on May 23rd and he completed the rough draft three days later.
0: How? I, because he hear- took the
1: year off and he was just like holed up in his apartment in New York City. Yeah, man. Whenever I hear stuff like that, I, I just don't even understand Damn. how the time works. But the rough draft could have been very rough. Maybe it was like a 10-page rough draft. Who knows? Yeah, yeah I guess. Um, he initially planned on shooting the film himself by raising several thousand dollars and using a camcorder. Mm. That's how, like, I mean, this is like a, a slush pile success story. I know that's one of the cool things about this movie is because of who Michael Arndt is and how it worked. Um, Stan Grossman, did you recognize the name Stan Grossman?
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a
1: character named Stan Grossman in Fargo and Michael Arndt put it in there on purpose as a tribute to the Coen (laughs) brothers. Oh no. And and the directors didn't catch it and he thought it was going to be changed, but they left it in again, homage. Oh, that's great. That's pretty cool. Um, the script was bought for 250,000 bucks. Good for Arndt. Um, he wrote the ending to the film six weeks before it was released. Um, and it was released in December 05 at Sundance, I think. Is that right? Um, let's see. Breslin spent two weeks preparing with a, with a choreographer to make sure she got her moves <laughs> right. Uh, last in 2006 in July, Fox searchlight pictures invited VW bus owners to a drive-in to promote the movie. There were 60 bands at the screening. Oh, wow. That's, Not pretty, bad. that's pretty cool. Keep it or kick it, Mike. I'm going to have to kick it. Yeah, I know you are.
0: Yeah. I I'm thought- gonna, I'm going to keep it. I thought this was very profound six years, 16 years ago, Mm -hmm. and I thought it was pretty weightless. So what you're
1: saying is that I'm sort of in your headspace 16 years ago. Now,
0: maybe you you finally caught up. Maybe I'm getting
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, nostalgia for aren't living the dream. Those emotional moments, Abigail Breslin crying in the hotel, worrying that she's going to please her father. Yeah, those are just those are those are like movie movie gold to me. Made me laugh a lot stuff. I will keep it. It's definitely starting to get a little crowded in my 06, though.
0: Yeah, it's going to be in the tail
1: end, I think. In the next episode, we will talk about another 06 movie that has made, continues to make a splash among critics. The Children of Men. Actually, just Children of Men. Based on a novel called The Children of Men. Mm. Uh, Alfonso Cuaron's dystopian sci-fi thriller fable starring... Clive Owen, Julianne Moore, Michael Kane with, with long hair.
0: <laughs> Find us at bestpicturethis.com on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you listen. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Best Picture This. And for 16 years of golden takes, head over to letterboxed slash Mike Cavalieri.
1: To support the show, visit patreon.com slash Best Picture This.
0: Thanks to WNZF and the illustrious Mark Gilliland for
1: producing. Also, please remember to
0: rate, review, and
1: subscribe. Thanks for listening to Best Picture This, the Abigail Breslin high pitched scream of movie criticism. <laughs> Check out.